Welcome to another edition of the Heron Outlet. She is Alex Winley. I am Ian Heston. The preseason moves on step by step. We get closer to that February 25th date. Inter-Miami will open up the season at Drive Pink Stadium against CF Montreal. And, you know, they, they have been welcoming Alex, their first opponents, to Drive Pink Stadium or to South Florida this week. Montreal training alongside uh, the Columbus crew at the training facility with Inter-Miami. We expect for some, uh, some scrimmages to be happening throughout the week on Saturday into Miami will take on the crew in one of those scrimmages. They'll play both teams over the next 10 days or so. But really, as, as we were there uh, over, over the past week or so, talking with people as they returned from Sarasota, great opportunity for them to have some bonding. And, and I want to start there because we're, we're going to get to some of the, the final roster moves in, in just a sec. But I thought that this trip to Sarasota was, was really beneficial for them uh, from, from, a, from a team chemistry standpoint. Uh, let, let's just start there, Alex, because this is a unique situation here in South Florida. They get to train at home. They get to have all preseason in their beds. They get to go home to their families every single night. Whereas, you know, Montreal's down here, right? Columbus is down here. Um, and they're, they're not being able to get St. Louis is now in, in Los Angeles right now. Right. So, so a lot of the other teams or a lot of the cold weather teams aren't able to do that. And, you know, we were talking with I was I was talking with Chris McVeigh earlier this week, and he had mentioned how it was good for the team to be able to come together and have that time where it was just them for four or five days, especially being a team that does return so much. It allowed a lot of the new guys to really become part of La Familia, as, as we all like to say. So let's just start there with the, the benefit of the Sarasota trip, what you think it might be. And now that we're coming back, getting these games and how it might benefit the, the second half of the preseason. Yeah, it'll benefit them a lot, you know, compared to last offseason um, where they basically shipped out off half the team. Um, now they have um, uh, a, a bit of a, a core now. And so the newer guys like Negri and, and Stefanelli and, and, and Kristoff, they can and come in and, and integrate uh, quite seam- seamlessly. That Sarasota trip uh, was huge because um, – you know, it's just more team chemistry. And like you said, a lot of these MLS teams, they're coming from out of state, but Miami, you know, they're able to sleep in their own beds, have their family, you know, even they didn't even leave the state of Florida. They went up to Sarasota, which is a, a four or five hour, maybe a little bit less uh, a drive uh, up there. So yeah, great uh, team bonding. You know, uh, I saw on Instagram, Robbie Robinson, uh, McVeigh and Negri sitting together during a team dinner. Uh, or something, you know, so it's guys like that, Joseph Martinez as well, you know, they're integrating them, all of the, all of the new players quite nicely. And um, it only, it only, you know, help them on the field, you know, when they know their ten- tendencies off the field, on the field, the chemistry, it just makes it a little bit quicker to, to get used to each other. You mentioned that, you know, it's still in state and how important that is because you're able to go, I think they were at IMG. Uh, they didn't actually specifically announce it, but, but, from talking with the guys and how they they uh they they framed it and described the fields there, it sounded like it was IMG for my times being up there. Um, and so, but the the idea of still being in Florida, you look, New York is thirty degrees colder today than, and we're in what early February. It's eighty degrees here as as they're training. You, you know, Boston is is forty degrees colder. Chicago is forty degrees colder. And for, you know, a team like Montreal that has to come down here and play game one in a similar climate, 
they're going to, this is beneficial for them to be able to get down here and get used to it. But Miami does have this inherent, inherent advantage that it's always like this down here. And, and Phil has talked a lot about it last year in that being the home field advantage that inter Miami took advantage of so much last year. And I really, you know, it's going to come time when we're going to start really looking to 2023, but but we can do it still within the lens of 2022. And the fact that there was such a slow start that I will argue continually uh, was was the reason behind them not getting the home playoff win. That 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 terrible start to the year is probably what stopped them from getting that home playoff win. And and what really helped them get it get into the playoffs was that home run in the dog days of summer when. The, the heat really ramped up for other teams and, and Miami was pulling out all those late games time and time again, that, that getting this camaraderie from day one, from, from the outset, whereas other teams like Montreal, like Columbus are having to find different ways to adapt and different ways to, to, to bring on uh, um, the, 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 the heat really, there's no other way to say it um, that, that this could be a, a way to mitigate what the challenge to start the year was last year, because don't forget after Montreal, the second week of the year is Philadelphia union. The third week of the year is at New York city. That's the top three teams in the Eastern conference from 2022 in weeks one, two, and three. That's a heck of a start that they're going to have to get. Yeah. And I think, um, like you said, to your point, I will say that all the games are at like seven 30 this year. So I, I don't think that, uh, the Heat will play pay, play as big of a, a deal like the, it did last year compared to those you know three o'clock and five o'clock games, but still there is humidity at nighttime. <clears throat> excuse me, down here, and it'll affect the other teams. And like you said, the heart attack Herons, you know them, um, them uh, coming back time and time and time again, getting those uh, late three points. You know, it's uh, one of the reasons why they were able to push for the playoffs. And like you said, the first five games of last season, <clears throat> excuse me. The first five games of last season, you know, that 5-0, and oh, uh, uh, um, uh, you know, losing streak, that's probably one of the reasons why they weren't able to get a home playoff spot. Um, this season, it may be a little different. Uh, if you guys read The Athletic, you know, they, MLS is, you know, weighing up whether or not to change the playoff system. So the top, what, nine teams get in, and the eighth and ninth seed will play in at, like, a play-in round. And, yeah, I don't know. We can discuss that at, at a later date, but. Still, Miami, uh, uh, they want to not finish. <laughs> they don't want to finish in a, in a spot where they're going to have to play into the playoffs. They want to finish, you know, top four, top five in the East. So, um, yeah, it's important to get that chemistry down. And uh, that trip to Sarasota was so important for them for for that. And like you said, they're going to be playing CF, CF Montreal, which is their first opponent of the season. Uh, Columbus Crew, which, you know, obviously they take on later in the year. Uh, those first two games are going to be difficult. But if they can get a win against Montreal at home, Philadelphia is going to be very difficult, but, you know, if Miami lose, I don't think anyone will, will necessarily blame them, but it's imperative that they get off on the right foot this season with the amount of competitions that they're in and them wanting to finish top four in the East. Um, you know, it's going to be, you know, important for them to to start on the right foot and, 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 and continue that form until the summer break. And I believe there's like a break between like June or, or what is it, May or June for the League's Cup. So they'll have a couple weeks off to regroup. So they just got to get through those uh, first couple months of the year, get the summer, and then maybe retool with uh, that open DP spot, which we'll touch on later, and and see how that goes. Well, let's touch on it let, because the news, uh, you know, heading out uh, as we talked about, you you mentioned and and I did as well. Alejandro Pozuelo uh, is heading to Turkey, and and first and foremost, 
our thoughts and prayers to the, the people of Turkey, absolutely devastating in Syria, um, just an absolutely devastating earthquake um, that, that has struck the region. Um, and, and obviously our hearts and prayers go out to them. Alejandro Pozuelo is on his way to play for Konyaspor in the Turkey, uh, pre, Turkey Super League is, is what they call it. Um, and so, yeah, so the, the Alejandro Pozuelo uh, era in, in Miami, short-lived, about a half season, um, unable to come to an agreement on the contract. I, I got to admit, um, you know, I, I know that, that a lot of uh, a lot of La Familia, a lot of the fans, obviously upset. He was a fan favorite last year. You can make the case that he was the reason that they made the playoffs last year. And I, I, you wouldn't hear an argument from me. Um, so a, a tremendous uh, addition, what Chris Henderson was able to do. And and bring him in late in this, you know, in that secondary window, and uh, and and really be that push to help Gonzalo and and make that run into the playoffs last year. He leaves now um, after not coming to an agreement. The team did want to make it work. They were active with him uh, for a very long time. Let's not forget they're still under the sanctions that affects how much allocation money they have. Um, which you know you can say, okay, well that doesn't affect the actual contract. It does when you have to buy Gregory down. You have to use that money um, in, in other places to, to be able to make things work within the salary cap. If you want to use that allocation money to lower your cap number, uh, that, that then affects the amount that you can give to, to a single player. So uh, even if you make him a de designated player, you still need to account for that $612,500 that would have immediately been a cap hit that there's no way you can mark that down. Like that is a number that is firm. Everything above that doesn't go towards the cap, but it's not like you can say, oh, well, it's 612 now. We can buy that down with allocation money. No, that number is a like a steady cap hit that there's nothing you can do about. So unfortunately, when talking about a designated player, um, it, it doesn't, it didn't really, um, it didn't really work in terms of the contract for Alejandro Pozuelo. So we wish him well in Turkey um, as he heads out there. Alex, just your thoughts before we get into how this affects the roster and how it could uh, affect it mid-season as well. Just Alejandro Pozuelo, what he meant for that second half of the year and, and unable to come to an agreement on a contract. Yeah, it's unfortunate. You know, the club did want to bring him back. It wasn't like they let him walk for any inexplicable reason. Like I've, I've been seeing on social media a lot, the fans saying that, you know, oh, Miami, you know, there, there's a reason, you know, they, they let him walk on a free. No, they, they actively tried to bring him back. They want to keep that DP spot open for, like Ian said, obvious reasons in the summer, just in case, um, you know, and if they would have made it, if they could have made it work, they would have made it work. That's simple as that. But, you know, unfortunately, it, they, they couldn't. And that's part of the reason why they brought in Nicholas Stefanelli to, 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 to be that stopgap or be that, that number 10 that they, uh, can rely on you know it's it's unfortunate a lot of you know MLS rules you know they say that you you know you have to stay within the cap and there there's you know they they trying to bring him back but they just couldn't make it work financially and and it's like I said it's not like they let him walk or anything it's just like they couldn't make it happen and if they they could have they would have and and also I've seen people say well if they would have just bought out Pizarro and and given Pizarro that spot I know Ian there's some some um you know, reason why they can't quite do that either. You know, they, they could have bought out Pizarro, but Pizarro is on his last year of his contract and it wouldn't, it just wouldn't make economic sense for them to buy out a player on his last year, spend money, extra money, which I mean, I guess they can do, but they're also running a, a business. They don't want to 
they want some return on that twelve million million dollar investment they made on Pizarro, so that's why they had him up for sale. They they can't they could just buy him out, but that just wouldn't no. make economic so, sense for Inter Miami. Yeah, let's just clarify that a little because even if you buy him out and and he's no longer even if you open up that spot, there is still a cap hit that you'd ensue. So it's not a free free ability to do it. Let's not forget, Matuidi was still on the books up until December 1st of 2022. So, like, even if you buy him out to open up the extra spot and say, oh, well, we want to – you're still taking a financial hit there. So I, I don't I, I don't think that it's 100% correct for people to say, oh, just buy him out and take that money and put it to Pozuelo. You can't just like for like it like that. That You do incur some penalty for doing that. That also, to be said, would be financially silly to, like you said, a guy in the last year of his deal. Yeah, I mean, it would have been probably the best move, I, I think, if they could have moved Pizarro, uh, which, you know, that that would – and, you know, they, they talked with Liga MX teams. Uh, he, they had – you know, he had an option to buy with Monterey. They didn't take it. So, um, you know, you're, you're bound by the contracts that, that you – you know, and some moves are, are home runs. Some moves are, uh, you know, an infield single and and some, you know, to, to not to mix my sports metaphors, but, you know, I, I think that they're just in a situation with Pizarro where this is his, you know, he is in the last year of his deal. And um, I, I don't think that, you know, I, I thought for a long time one thing happened with the other, but I thought that that included moving Pizarro. So if Pizarro's not moving, then then one doesn't necessarily go the, the same way. Let's look at how the the roster though is now affected by this because with with the with Pozuelo leaving, you mentioned there is only two designated spots. Joseph will not take up a designated spot as Atlanta is taking up a, a, a large portion of his salary. Uh, Gregory will be bought down with allocation money, so so his uh, salary well above the six hundred twelve thousand dollar threshold. Uh, it can easily be lowered to about two hundred thousand dollars, a little less than two hundred thousand dollars in uh, allocation money that can go to him. So that leaves uh, Pizarro in the last year of his deal and Campana as a young designated player who is in the first year of his new deal that he signed as a young designated player with the U22 distinction. So with all that in mind, they still do have one designated player spot and, and the, they'll probably hold that carrying into uh, the the uh, the start of the year. That's not to say that they will not have that spot filled by the end of the year. We saw that with Pozuelo last year, where he, he came in as a designated player, and that's only because they had one open spot, and that spot was because Pizarro was on loan to Monterey, right? So so the jigsaw puzzle sort of comes together here. Uh, yeah. so, so they do have that spot. It is prorated if you do it in the July transfer window so it wouldn't be the 612 dollar number so let's just throw out a player we'll call him um leonardo mischetti if they <laughs> sign leonardo mischetti uh in july then then he would go count for half the designated player spot but they could still pay him however much they wanted so, so when we're talking for cap measurement purposes, that would only occur for the three hundred and you know, do your math, thousand uh, dollars towards the cap, and then he can make whatever he wants for for the remainder of the year. We've seen this happen several times with uh, with European transfers into MLS that come after the European season and in into July. So they they do have the ability to do that. 
There is a, a financial incentive a little bit in the U22 realm to, uh, to, to carry a third designated player. We'd really get in the weeds on it um, if I started breaking that down. Also, with the, the loan of Emerson, it doesn't necessarily make much sense. Um, Emerson would have fell, fallen into that category. So with him on loan, you can really just ride this way for the end of the year. And then next year, you can reap all the benefits, especially when you don't have any of the, the, the sanctions anymore. Sanctions, I, that, yeah. that is a long way to say that, that, that this, there is a clear vision and plan for what they're doing. Um, and, and, and that's nice to see. It gets very complicated. Um, and if you're still with me after that long rant, I applaud you. Uh, but but <laughs> they, they have two designated players now. They'll have two designated players to start the year, it looks like. And then they have some flexibility mid-year. Yeah, you're still with me, Alex? <laughs> yeah, I am. I am. I am, actually. I want to add on to this. Um, there were reports, well, an article out this morning or, or, or just, you know, statements from uh, Barca's president, I think, Juan Laporte. I, I don't know if he's the president or CEO or whatever, but I know this is, uh, I know, I, I know people are probably tired of the rumors, but this is regarding Sergio Busquets. And um, uh, Laporta did say that Busquets does want to come to America. And I, I did read something this morning uh, from, I don't know, one of their higher ups where they basically said that he was, you know, there was an option for him to move in January, but, um, you know, it, it, he could come in the summer. And there's also an option to, for him to extend his contract for another six more months. So he would arrive in January of 2024 instead of the summer of uh, uh, this season, which, uh, it, it, you know, in my opinion, I think that would be more cap friendly for Miami. So they don't have to squeeze him in and, you know, Leonardo Moschetti uh, this summer as well. So you could you sign Moschetti uh, during the summer. And then uh, next year you get uh, Sergio Busquets in, in January where, you know, Pizarro will be gone and you'll have, an, uh, if, if they sign Busquets to a DP contract, they'll have Busquets, you know, if he wants that. So, yeah, I think they're, they, I think the reason why Pozuelo wasn't really signed is, uh, number one, it didn't make sense cap-wise. Number two, they're just trying to remain flexible, and I feel like they they were willing to to take that chance, you know, if they get Muschietti in the summer, uh, you know, the you know, letting Pozuelo go, it just didn't make sense cap-wise. They couldn't buy out Pizarro because it still wouldn't make sense, and yeah, there's just a lot of moving parts to MLS cap rules, and we should do an entire podcast just on that, just so people can understand and and you know, make make uh, uh, intelligent takes because some of the takes are just you know they're they're not correct, and it's it's basically mis misinformation at this point. Some of the if takes I... I'm seeing from from the fans and other podcasts, it's it's you know like come on guys, like learn the MLS rules. I know it's difficult, but. Yeah, it's it's a lot, but it it'll. Be I don't blame anybody for not knowing MLS rules. Yeah, but I don't blame because MLS rules are tough. They are very tough. It took me. Uh, I I still don't have it all, and it took me the better part of a decade, and I'm still learning them. Uh, so I, uh, you know, it, it yeah, is it, difficult to, to figure it's out all the mechanisms. And and you know, we we haven't yeah, even touched the discovery that. list or uh, <laughs> rights of oh, first man. refusal Didn't or anything. Yeah, it's gotten rid yeah. of now. Oh, so they got rid of the Everybody's yeah. every MLS beat writers. Yeah, every MLS beat writers yeah. Uh, yeah. annoyance. The the discovery list is <laughs> finally gone out of our out of our lives mercifully. But <laughs> as oh, yeah, yeah. you know, I wanted I wanted to talk about what this means for for that number ten role and and who's going to fit it because I would naturally think that Pizarro would have. But we've seen him not all preseason. He's played that left central midfield role uh, in the games that we've seen this preseason. And 
you know, especially in the scrimmage against St. Louis, it was Coco who started and Stefanelli who came in for him. And so I guess in breaking those down, I know that you and I both like Stefanelli a lot. I would say I haven't seen enough of Coco to develop an opinion. I probably haven't seen enough of Stefanelli to develop an opinion, but he just made a very good first impression. Um, so where do you see that? Because I would think that naturally Pizarro would be back in the 10, but perhaps his role is changing for Phil and Phil sees him in a different light. Yeah, I don't know about, like I said in the other, the last pod, I don't see Coco as a 10, honestly. I feel like him being played there is a disservice to his skill set. Like he should be one of the backup strikers to Campana or Martinez. I think he just, he wants to get him behind and he wants to be a runner. You know, some guys are, can play in that 10 role. Stefanelli, Pizarro, maybe Bryce Duke, we haven't really mentioned, but, you know, um, uh, as an aside here, uh, one of Miami's best played games last year, and 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 mind you, they, he Pozuelo wasn't on the field. They were playing the four three one two uh diamond midfield. There was no Pozuelo. There was no Gregory. It was that four one win against Orlando, and it was arguably one of the better played games that Miami had that season. So for people con- concerned about Pozuelo leaving and saying, "Oh, it may not work," Bryce Duke was playing as a ten during that game, and he played really well actually. So. You know, and and imagine, uh, you know, maybe Bryce Duke moves on to center midfield, and Stefanelli plays as that as that ten. Plus, you have Martinez and Campana and and Gregory in a full strength team. I think, you know, the formation will play well. So, like Bryce Duke, Stefanelli. I don't. I'm not a fan of Coco there. Maybe even Pizarro can play there. I don't. I don't. I don't think he has the defensive um, uh, awareness to really get back in time. I know he can put in a tackle, but that awareness, I think he he falls short there. But him being played as a kind of a 10 that doesn't have much, you know, defensive responsibility because he'll be playing in front of uh, three central midfielders that will have his back. So he can go up there and, and dribble to his heart's content with uh, Campana or Martinez or Lasseter or Robbie Robinson, LaCava, Coco, whoever. Miami are pretty deep at center forward now. Um, even Edison Escona can play as a 10. We, we saw him during the St. Louis scrimmage. He did get injured, but, you know, he looks ready to, to, to step up to, uh, to to get MLS minutes consistently and so surprisingly you know Miami they're they're very deep uh, in attack I would say you know anyone can play as a 10 Coco, Coco, Pizarro Coco Stefanelli Ascona uh, heck Robert Taylor if there's yeah I was gonna say we didn't even mention Taylor yeah because I, I think there was one game last season where he did play as a 10 and he did really poorly so and he was never seen there again so um that's part of the reason why but um yeah, Robert Taylor could play there, and Miami are really deep uh, in the forward spot and as the uh, the number ten spot. So yeah, Bryce Duke, Stefanelli, Coco, Pizarro, Ascona, uh, anyone can play there. I like Ascona a lot. I think he's more of a pure ten out of all and all of them. But I think Stefanelli is the guy that'll be that starter. And 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 even you guys spoke to Jean Mata about how they're getting along with Stefanelli and 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 how he's fitting in already. And uh, maybe you can touch on that a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, so spoke with Jean Mota earlier this week and, and uh, you know, I had asked him to, to sort of compare. This is right when we were finding out that Pozuelo had finalized the deal uh, in Turkey. So I had asked him to because he was talking about Stefanelli and, and how he likes him and, and his movement and, and his aggression. I sort of said, well, what do you see in the difference between what Pozuelo was like and, and what you're seeing from Stefanelli? And, and he had said that Stefanelli is more of an attacker. Stefanelli wants to to go straight for goal and he can score the goal too. And he's almost like a, a, a tertiary threat that you can be where Pozuelo was always kind of 
just like looking up and needed, needed, you know, where am I, where am I facilitating out? Am I going with the negative ball? Am I going out to my wings? Am I going up top to my strikers? Whereas Stefanelli is like, okay, I receive, I turn, I go. And, and that, that is a, a nice different dynamic, especially for a team that wants to be uh, much more attacking minded this year. Um, and they really want to bridge quickly from defense to offense. We talked about uh, earlier in a podcast earlier this preseason about they're going to have more of the possession. That possession will come from the back, though. I don't think they'll hold the ball in that middle third as much. They'll, they'll, they'll start in the back, and then once the decision is made to go forward, it's quickly through the middle third. It's quickly to the attacking third. It's not going to be a lot of swing the ball around in the middle part of the field attacking the defense. It's going to be hold. let's play out the back, and once we find that weakness, let's go quickly. Um, and, and, you know, that sometimes gets called the counterattacking style. I don't like to call it that because you're already in possession. You're already holding it. And that really does fit Stefanelli's game very well if they choose to say it. I do want to touch on what you had mentioned with that Orlando game because it's a great point. And also just adding on to it, that Orlando game is probably the closest that you'll see to the pure 4-4-2 four, four, diamond or, or the 4-3-1-2, whatever you want to call it. But now with Joseph and, and Campana up top, that that game, if you want to look for a style of play and how Inter-Miami is looking to play, even with that Campana goal, right? How did that Campana goal start at the very beginning of that game? It happened a quick turnover, a head to Leo, and he just shot it from, from you know, basically midfield. So, so those are the types of things that you're going to see, that, that quick transition, that sudden change that Inter-Miami is about to do. While we're on this midfield, you had mentioned Bryce Duke. He's back at training. Um, and, and that's good to hear. He was probably uh, the, the last, well, Ryan Saylor would probably be the last, but uh, the, of the last ones to return fully healthy into training, a very good sign. Uh, Phil continues to say that he expects everybody to be ready uh, for the February 25th opener, which is a great sign um, for, for yeah. Inter-Miami. He wanted to, he, he keeps joking that if everybody's healthy, his job is very difficult because he has to figure out who of these, you know, 25, 26 players are going to be the starting 11. And, you know, at a lot of times last year, it, it wasn't an option, right? Campana was down. So Iguain played. Iguain wasn't playing well. So Campana played. And, and so he hopes this year to have his job be a lot more difficult with a lot more bodies and a lot more depth that they're able to bring. Let's talk about this midfield though. With Duke back, with, you know, Robert Taylor, who I feel like we're sleeping on a little because he he yeah. has, he really is a, a great performer, great on the ball technician um, with it, and somehow just kind of gets the seam lost in the discussion time and time again. Um, you know, you have Pizarro, you have Mota, you have Gregory. Uh, let, let's start with the, the kind of the back three in that diamond and, and how you're going to put it. Uh, and and then I'll, I guess I'll, I'll give you my take on on how I think uh, that they'll they'll solve this issue. Yeah, um, rewatching that Orlando game, Robert Taylor was playing on the left side of the midfield uh, three with Indiana Vasilev on the right side, and um, he nearly got an assist. There was one instance where he he um, John Mata played a very good line splitting pass, and, and mind you, John Mata was playing as the deep line playmaker of that game because Gregory was out. John Mata played a really good line splitting pass that took out like three Orlando defenders. And uh, he got it to Robert Taylor. Robert Taylor on contact, you know, basically flick, had a flick on nutmeg on one of the Orlando defenders that, and he slipped it in through to Iguain, who nearly scored there if he would have just shot instead of, you know, doing the Iguain thing where he inexplicably just doesn't shoot, even though he's in good position. 
um, you know, they could have scored there. So it was Jean Mata to Robert Taylor. And speaking of Robert Taylor, I think he's very, you know, very good dribbler. And I think that's part of the reason why, uh, you know, uh, he, he'll probably start uh, against uh, Montreal. I think, you know, he's just a good dribbler and he, he's got the winger mindset and he, he does have a really good work rate um, for, a, you know, a winger and an attacking player. So I think that's part of the reason why Neville has him there as that extra offensive threat in that midfield three that can go up and play of a sort of a this Italian term called the mezzala where it's basically a central midfielder that lines up in midfield but he play you know he or she plays in those half spaces on the wing and I think that's what they want Robert Taylor to do just you know I line up here but you know get into those wide spaces or half spaces on the on the wing next to Yedlin and you know and and kind of create from there so yeah Miami have options and yeah, it's going to be difficult to pick a starting 11. I, I, I tweeted out a depth chart the other day, and, you know, either Bryce Duke or Pizarro or or, or even Victor Ijoa, any one of them could, could maybe start should, you know, any of the starters drop form. So, yeah, Neville does have a difficult job, but, um, you know, it's good to have a wealth of options compared to, you know, previous years where they were, you know, you know was it, what's that rule called? The uh, mercy rule or uh, hardship uh the hardship rule where they were calling up, you know, Inter Miami CF2 guys and, you know, they were in the trenches back then, but, but now they have options and then they have flexibility for flexibility for the summer as well. And, you know, Inter Miami are sitting pretty, pretty solid right now. So um, let's see how they, how it goes heading into the season and, and, uh, you know, worst case scenario, they can also make adjustments in the summer with uh, Leonardo Maschetti if, if he does sign uh, or, or Busquets, but, yeah, let's see how that goes. But um, yeah, the midfield, I I feel like it's very set now, and and they're they're starting to look uh, pretty good. Yeah, you could say that this is a good problem to have, and and that's how I think that that Phil and company and Chris Henderson would would frame it. That having all of these options is, and to their credit, they say that that's what they want, and 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 so you know having options is is a good thing. I I think you can also look at this and say there is no clear cut starting eleven. No, there is no clear cut you know, person that every, well, there are a couple, but not a starting 11, that this is your first team starting 11. You must win a game. This is the 11 that's going to come out. I think that with this team, we could pull, you know, two dozen Inter-Miami fans at what's your best 11. We might get two dozen different answers because you could just mix and match it. Maybe 10 of 11 are the same, but that one extra spot's going to be different. Um, and, and so you, that, that could be a good problem to have. You could also say, well, you wish that there was more clear cut of what your 11 was going to be. I think that, that Malta stays in that pocket in, in the central defensive mid real, midfield role simply because I think that when we talk about what I mentioned before, using playing out the back to quickly transition into the attacking third, he fits the mold of that best in, in that pocket. Whereas Gregory can win the ball back on the side and, and just avoid that altogether, Molta can play out the back a little bit better. And, and that's more of an offensive thing through defense. It's a little complicated, but um, but it sort of makes sense to allow him into that pocket to be able to, to distribute uh, ahead quicker. So I, I would say that I put Gregory, I mean, just naturally, he kind of loves, likes that right side. He's a you know right-footed player uh, in, in that regard. So uh, if he's on the right, it's the question of who's filling that left spot. And and for me, it comes down to who pick your poison of Taylor, Pizarro, and Bryce Duke. And so so once we get that, and let's not forget, Kramashi is still there too. So yeah, you know we'll see if he yeah, yeah if, if he if he gets you know some minutes, we we could be talking about him in the middle of the season. So um, I think that that when it when it comes to those three, 
it's going to be probably based on on the assignment, probably based on uh, you know the, who they're going up against. I think that we we still have a lot to see from Negri to see who he's going to be comfortable with because that's going to be a big part of of the decision making in that process. Who's he going to play with there? Um, so I think it's still a little too early, especially with Bryce Duke just getting his first action in the preseason recently. Um, I think it's too early to say who, who's going to fit that role. Again, you'd like for your designated player to be on the field, especially when you only have two of them. Um, but this is sort of the, the, the situation that they're in right now. Um, and, and hopefully, you know, hopefully things improve. Then it brings you to that number 10 role because – you could argue any of those three guys with maybe like you had mentioned earlier, with the exception of Taylor uh, could, could also be in the 10 role. You throw Coco in there, you throw Stefanelli in there. And now you got four real guys, even Valencia or Ascona can go up there uh, in, in case yeah. of an emergency, I think. So you have the depth there. I think that though the, the, the challenge that Phil is going to have is getting it right, right away. And, and that, that is really the, the, the litmus test of, I guess, like managerial skill and and probably the pressure that, that he's going to face because with so many options, if he picks the wrong option, you know, all of a sudden, well, you wasted 60 minutes of one game. Now you're, you know, trying to fix it for the final 30. Next game, are you going to get it right? The next game, are you going to get it right? That, that doubt starts to creep in. And so it, it really behooves him to look at the landscape and, and fall in and feel comfortable with the decisions that he's making. It's a large responsibility and, and one that he's going to have to, um, to really, really take hold of because you know, it's a, it's a good problem. Like he says to have, but it's also something that, that he's going to have to take responsibility for is the one who ultimately decides the team sheet. Yeah. And I think Ascona, um, you know, he can't get some, he can get some minutes this season and, and couple of that with, like you said, Kromeshki. Um, yeah, a lot of good young talent coming through ranks. And I know Inter Miami, they desperately, they really want to, you know, um, get to that point where they can sell off their some of their homegrown talent uh, to European sides and whatnot. So this year, um, Kromeshki, Ascona, Ian Frey, when he's returning and getting healthy, Felipe Valencia, and even Noah Allen, you know, uh, this is a year where a lot of them will make the step up. And uh, um, hopefully, you know, uh, in a year or two, maybe one of them can go over to Europe and, and continue to fulfill their dreams. So, a uh, good shout. Uh, Alex, I wanted to spend some time in the second half of this episode, if you will, to talk about uh, some of the other Eastern Conference rivals and, and the moves that they've made this offseason, um, particularly the ones that, that are directly rivals of Inter-Miami. We'll, we'll touch on Orlando. Let's touch on Atlanta a little, too, uh, simply because, you know, they, with Joseph and, and with playing them in League's Cup, uh, Atlanta is going to be uh, an interesting uh, uh, challenge this year. Let's start with Orlando and the moves that they've made because a lot of MLS pundits, the national pundits, have have been very high on Orlando's offseason. It has been a very busy one, one of the biggest. And uh, you know they they have nine uh, nine players that have left the club uh, at the time. Uh, Perea, Mauricio Pereira had to come up with a new deal. It was a, he was a designated player for them last year. Comes back not as a designated player, which opens up opened up a DP spot for them. They filled it with Martino Heda from Godoy Cruz, um, who's a, a winger for them. That that really was a nice signing that people liked. Uh, Pedro Gales comes back. 
Um, but but a lot of people are out the door. Uh, they they had Tesho Akindeli who retired. Michelle left for Portugal. Rafael Santos um, is uh, you know they're they're getting so so he'll, he'll probably start on the, in the left back for them. They're an interesting side if you look at uh, at what they are going to want to do. I still have questions for them in the back. They, they, their defense to me still needs to improve, but that offense with Ojeda, with Caro, with Torres, with Perea, that's going to be a very good offense to deal with. Um, and, and one that, that many are seeing as a team that is probably one of the most improved in the Eastern Conference this coming year. Yeah, and I agree. I think, you know, they're in uh, the CONCACAF Champions League, so they're going to be looking to push on in multiple competitions. So obviously they needed the depth to, to get through that. So um, obviously the rivalry is still there with uh, Miami and, and, and Orlando and, and all that jazz, but you know, Orlando looked good and solid, but uh, I do fear that they may have some trouble really gelling. I know um, their coach Oscar Pereja, he's very solid, but you know, when they get rid of a lot of the players in the roster like that, and then you bring in um, new players, um, obviously it's going to take a while for them to gel and, um, yeah, I, I think that'll be the case with them. They'll maybe start off a little bit slow, but they'll they'll eventually get it together, I feel. Yeah, if there is a weakness on this roster, it's a fullback. And that's really where, where you'd probably be able to attack them. Um, I mentioned Santos on the left, Smith probably on the right. That 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 that'll probably be which is which will be an interesting matchup for Miami and Orlando this year because both teams will really like that route one um a, a attacking you. Uh, straight at you and then both teams will probably try and use that width play to to uh, in the case of Miami to try and get behind them in the case of Orlando to to really have those one-on-one -on -one battles um, interesting style for them obviously CONCACAF Champions League for the first time that'll be a goal of Miami's this year uh, Miami and Orlando were, were neck and neck in the standings last year uh, but but two very different approaches to this offseason in terms of Orlando trying to uh, sort of like shuffle the deck a little with, with who they have Miami deciding of a more holistic approach of just a couple of of identification spots that they wanted to go with. And then adding you add a Joseph to your attack, you add a Stefanelli to your attack, you add a Kristoff and a Negri to your defense, just those little targeted areas. Which approach do you like better? Is there is there one that that you think might serve uh, one team better than the other? Uh, well, for one, I think uh, the fans like you know rebuilds like Orlando, where they can see tangible you know influx of players coming in and and you know big time players from South America. But I, I think Inter Miami needed to do what they needed to do with. Um, uh, you know that holistic approach is adding on to what are what they already have. I know it's not as flashy as them signing you know, ten straight players like they did last off season, but you know it's what they needed. And I want to touch on uh, Martin Ojeda and uh, Franco Negri. They're they're ex teammates at uh, Godoy Cruz, yep. I believe. So those derbies are going to be um, uh, pretty interesting to see, especially when they go, line up against each other with Negri. And, and they'll go head to head, right? Because yeah, that was the left side yeah, of Godoy Cruz. Head -head. That was the yeah. left, yeah. Yeah, so well, extra added emotions with the Darbies this year. So it'll be interesting to see. Let's talk about Atlanta as well. Obviously, the, the big news, Joseph coming to Inter-Miami. They will, uh, so so uh, their club legend leaves for South Florida. They try and replace him, uh, and just with the signing 
of George. I'm going to butcher this name because it's a a Greek international striker from Celtic, Georgios Giacoumakis. Giacoumakis from Celtic. Um, he he comes in. They still have yeah. Derek Etienne Jr. They still have Arujo Tiago in that uh, in that number ten role. Um, so a lot of the same from Atlanta, but also uh, you know they kind of went at, at it similar to. Um, to to Inter Miami and the fact that they tried to target uh, clearly they're they're a little bit weaker on the and they're number nine Emerson Hinman's uh, contract was bought out Franco Ibarra went to Sao Paulo in Brazil um, 39 year old Brad Guzan who you know coming off an Achilles tear how's how's he going to be um, so so they definitely have uh, some question marks. I'd say that, that, that those question marks are probably in the midfield. Who's going to fill that number eight role for them? Who's going to fill that that number six role for them? Uh, and probably for for Atlanta, uh, this is going to be a, a bit of a growing pain year. That not to say that they're going to be a bad team, uh, but they'll probably find themselves uh, similar to uh, probably I would say in that the 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 lower side of that Eastern conference playoff battle, they probably could get in, but I'd say that they're looking at sort of that nine, 10, 11 seed for them this year. And maybe one year away from, from getting things out. They have they you know, the problem when you make some of the moves that, that Atlanta has made is sometimes those move those high pressure, high level moves, when they don't work out, they handcuff you for two, three years in terms of a rebuild. They're sort of seeing the the final iteration of that. And so within the next one or two years, they're going to get out from some of these contracts that they've needed to, Hinman being one of them, Ibarra being another one, Joseph, you would you would argue that they wanted to move on from. It wasn't working out there. Um, so, so they're trying to, to really reset their cap situation in, in a year that, that might uh, be a, a little bit longer for them than their fans would be accustomed to with a, with a team of, of that pedigree. Yeah, and in Miami went through that, you know, a couple like last off season and 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 twenty twenty one where they just really wanted to get rid of some contracts, but you know, you know, McCready and Pizarro and all of that stuff. So it's important to get the the second rebuild rebuild uh, uh done well. Like Miami's like like you said, Miami was able to do it pretty well. Like they're they're everyone you know like last season everyone had them finishing bottom, but they were able to defy the odds and continue to build on that. So. Um, with Atlanta losing Joseph, um, like you you mentioned, who's gonna play that sixth role? I think Santiago Sosa can can do that, but he's more of a, you know he he's always injured, so I don't know if they can rely on him heavily. They got rid of Emerson Hindman, so yeah, they're they're in rebuild mode, but they still have some really good players. Uh, Tiago Amada, or Lu, Luis Arujo, you know, not Arujo, you know he's Brazilian, so I think there's a there's a slight difference. They always get them confused with Ronald Araujo from Barcelona, and it's all the same. But uh, but not really. Um, so Arujo is there. Uh, Almada, uh, Derek Etienne. Um, they've got a lot of good uh, attacking talent. Uh, Andrew Koopman uh, as a fullback. Um, they they recently signed a new center back. I, I forgot his name, but um, they got rid of Alan Franco, so they had to 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 sign a a new center back. I'll get his name right now, actually. But um, yeah, they're they're in full rebuild mode, and uh, Garth Lagoway, uh, uh, you know, coming in and and and. No, he knows what he's doing. Him and Chris Anderson. Uh, oh, that's his name. Uh, Luis I- Ibram from Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Peru, Peru yeah. national team. Yeah, they just signed him, so they have him and Juan Prata, uh, and yeah, so Atlanta are rebuilding, and Garth Lockway is there, and so um, you know him, Chris Anderson, 
uh, you know what they they like to do. So I think Atlanta's rebuild will be kind of similar to what Miami are doing. You know, mind players that aren't superstars but can get you to the top as well. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see um, how that goes, and uh, I'm intrigued to see how they get along. Finally, we'll just wrap out the the Southeast with Charlotte, who basically returned their entire team. They only made a, a couple of moves in the offseason. Obviously, um, the, the the terrible, terrible, tragic death of Anton Walks um, in January, a boating accident here in South Florida, um, you know, will will weigh on the minds of everybody in MLS uh, for for not only this season but for a long time. Um, uh, you know, they they will they will have to somehow. I, I have no idea how you you figure that out. Um, and just your your heart absolutely breaks for them, and and prayers and thoughts for the the whole Charlotte. FC family, their fans, as they figure figure out uh, what, what is sure to be a, a, a very um, somber season for them. The, the moves that they did make, um, I, I do like the striker that they brought in, Enzo Copetti, um, who, uh, if you if you did watch, you, you, I, I would recommend to our you know the Heron Outlet audience start checking out the the Argentinian league because a lot of the uh, the the future uh, of MLS is is getting sort of a breeding ground in Argentina right now. Enzo Capetti uh, was one of the better goal scorers in Argentina last year. Um, he comes in to be the number nine. Swiderski moves back into that ten slot, um, and and that that'll be really well. They signed Ashley Westwood too from from Burnley, which was an interesting move. Um, you know, I, I don't know if Westwood will probably start at center back for them. I'd imagine he's a third center back for them. But basically, other than that. It is, you know, the same Charlotte. So uh, they're they're sort of banking on the fact that they were close but no cigar last year, and and if they find some some more cohesion and a, and a you know a, another year of running this back, that they might be able to to have better results in in twenty twenty three. It, it's worked for teams in the past. We've seen teams like the Houston Dynamo. Uh, do this very effectively. San Jose Earthquakes made it made a great playoff run. RSL a couple of years ago made a great playoff run. Um, and, and you think of of these. I don't know if you call them small market teams because I wouldn't say that Houston or Charlotte or San Jose are necessarily small market, but the smaller budget teams that that find their way um, ha- have effectively done so with keeping guys around for multiple years. And this is now Charlotte being the attempting uh, uh, their attempt at it. I don't think that this is going to be a team that's competing for an Eastern Conference championship, but I do think that this is going to be a, 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 a possibly a playoff team, and if they are a playoff team, an annoying out if they wind up being one. Yeah, and I think uh, Charlotte, um, like you said, they're going to be dealing with the loss of Anton Walks, but um, I still think they made some really good roster moves, like you said, Enzo Capetti. Um, to your point about the Argentinian league, if you guys want like, to watch it, you know, Paramount Plus, it's like $6 a month and it's a steal. You get um, Argent- the Argentine league, uh, you know, uh, Brazil, Serie A, which yeah. I watch a lot. It's super fun. Uh, a bunch of leagues, you know, you get the Champions League, you get Serie A in Italy. Um, yeah, just so, you know, if you're not necessarily a Premier League fan, which, you know, it's another conversation for another day. I'm, you know, I'm sure people are a little disillusioned by the transfer fees and and everything, but um, you know, you can watch Brazilian City A, Argentine League, you know, Italian City A, Champions League, and so anyway, Paramount Plus is great. This is not like an advertisement; they didn't pay us to say this, but it's it's still it's still fun. But um, yeah, Charlotte, they should be good uh this year. Uh, you know, they were decent last season. Uh, they just needed to build on what they had. Um, uh, Capetti is good. Um, 
yeah, they're going to be an interesting team. I know they always gave Miami difficult games. They beat them. You know, I think they beat Miami once, and then Miami beat them once at mm-hmm. home at Drive Pink. So, um, yeah, let's see how that goes, and um, I'm intrigued to see how they get along uh, as the season continues. Yeah, I, I think that they'll be one of those those interesting case studies that if you can if you can pull points from them, um, then then that's going to be a big you know big um, you know boost for you and and your attempt to get up you know the, up the 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 ladder in in the Eastern Conference standings this year. Um, again, Inter Miami also has the addition of the League's Cup. We're going to talk about that because Phil has said that they're focusing on it this year, and Atlanta um, will be there with Cruz Azul for Inter Miami in their in their group stage um, in July. Obviously, the Open Cup, we've seen Orlando. Uh, that was their ticket into CONCACAF Champions League. And, and if you got to see the Seattle Sounders uh, compete in the Club World Cup, uh, that was for the first MLS team to compete in a Club World Cup. That was very, uh, uh, very exciting and, and a lot of fun to, to, to see them. And, you know, they obviously didn't make it past uh, that the the um, – the, their their opponent their first round opponent to get to uh, Real Madrid but it would have been fun um, but that that's the way you know that that's the path that a lot of people are a lot of teams are seeing now if you if you can focus on the Open Cup if you can focus on now the League's Cup offers a, another chance and they Phil has said all along this team wants to be in the top four of the Eastern Conference this year and host a home playoff game for the very first time we're gonna break down some more Eastern Conference teams as we get closer. To opening day, uh, we'll, we'll touch on Montreal, Philadelphia, New York City as we get closer to the those games, Inter-Miami's first opponents, um, and, and who they'll be seeing this year. But wanted to, to really focus on the rivals as we have sort of this nice, calm, lull period in the preseason uh, as everybody is, is sort of getting their scrimmages in this week with Columbus and Montreal in town. Alex, always great talking to you. Make sure you follow us on our Twitter channel, on our Instagram channel, uh, on subscribe on YouTube, rate, review, tell your friends, uh, and and always subscribe to our brand new Substack. You can get all the latest scouting reports. Alex has done a great job with all of the scouting reports of the the new uh, the new additions for Inter Miami. You'll get stories uh, on on how preseason is going, match recaps and more all, all on our inter miami uh the heron outlet Substack at is the heron outlet Substack. subscribe today uh she is alex winley for our producer andres and for austin robillard awesome we'll see you soon i am ian hess this has been the heron outlet and we'll see you back here next week <laughs>